Um, my name is Dr. Susie Snyder, and uh, let's just open up with a word of prayer this morning. Dear God, we come before you, and we are grateful for this day. We know that you're the one who has made it, and we don't want to take it for granted that you've given us another day. And we lay it before you, Lord. We know that you have plans for us. You've promised that, plans to prosper and not to harm, plans for hope in the future. And um, I also know, Lord, and, and trust that you have plans for every single person in this room, every single person at this conference. And uh, so, Lord, we lay this day before you. We lay this session before you. And I just pray that uh, the, the things that you want us to learn will be heard and learned. And I pray that you'll help me, uh, give me the words that you would want me to speak, and uh, let the words that you want heard to be heard. And uh, as we go forth and using um, whatever skills and talents you've given us to serve you and grow your kingdom, Lord, give us wisdom and discernment and your power and strength to do so. And we just thank you for yourself, your mighty power, your work in our lives, and your son, Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we do these things not to make ourselves look good, but to make you look good and give you glory and to bring the world into a saving relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Very good. Um, this morning we're going to be talking about uh, cases, uh, case studies in HIV-AIDS. Um, I have worked as a medical missionary in Kenya, East Africa for uh, over a 14-year span and uh, did medical missions and uh, was also involved in a fairly significant AIDS program. Now, I don't consider myself an AIDS expert, uh, but I have, have a fair amount of experience. So today I'm going to be presenting cases that I've dealt with and uh, just speaking from my experience, and hopefully that can uh, be a blessing to you uh, and some help as you go forth and consider your role in caring for AIDS patients. Um, I also hold an assistant clinical professorship of internal medicine and pediatrics at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. That's a mouthful. Um, but uh, my, my love and my heart is uh, with the people of Africa. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, several of the common medical features of HIV-AIDS, particularly in the developing uh, world. And uh, I want to focus, too, especially on the cultural and the social aspects of the transmission, treatment, and care of AIDS. Uh, this is my family, my husband Dave, and my daughters Rebecca and Lauren and I have served uh, with Christian Missionary Fellowship. Uh, in East Africa, in Kenya, uh, from 1992 until about three years ago. Uh, we served uh, among the Maasai people. We lived among them for seven years, uh, and then we continued um, working with them for uh, the seven years after that. Uh, the Maasai people are a very um, traditional uh, people group. They live out in the rural bush areas. Um, they definitely have a lot of health needs, but they're a very colorful and hospitable people group. My husband is an ordained minister uh, by training and profession, and he worked in church planting um, and Christian leadership development, but I was the only doctor on our team, so our family was particularly focused on the medical ministries um, of our team, and that involved overseeing and running nine dispensaries in remote village locations. Now, these clinics are very simple, four to five uh, room stone buildings, rain tanks for water, solar power for electricity, uh, no x-ray, very little lab, no hospital beds, very simple um, care and facilities. But they're the only medical facilities in the community in which they serve, so they provide a very significant service to the Maasai people and community. Um, we have nine clinics. We service um, an area... Um, um, people, uh, people group of about 100,000 people. 
Um, and uh, as a system, the clinic clinics see about 37 to 40,000 patients a year. So um, pretty big system. At this point, we have Maasai-trained uh, nurses, uh, lab technicians, pharmacy technicians. Uh, they're, they're running a show and doing a great job of it. Now, in the first 10 years that we were working out there, I have really saw very few AIDS cases. Um, for a long time, we didn't even have testing, so it was all by clinical diagnosis, um, and I could count them on my hand. But that changed, and as the wave hit us, we are, are really in the, in the depths of the, of the AIDS crisis at this point. Every time I go to the clinic, I see three or four new cases, um, and it, it's just exploding. And the, the ramifications, the social impacts, the economic impacts are, are all there. You've heard the statistics. 30 million-plus have died, <clears throat> and um, 30 to 40 million are currently infected, 15 million orphaned. Nobody really knows exactly how many people have died of AIDS. It's probably much higher numbers. It's just really hard to quantify because so often the stigma is really, really high. And so for someone to die of AIDS, is just it's such a disgrace that a lot of times on the death certificate or what people uh, tell their friends and neighbors is, oh, they died of pneumonia or they died of malaria. <clears throat> that may be true. There's opportunistic infections that very often will in their life, but... Um, uh, AIDS was the underlying cause, but it's hard to quantify. Two million last year alone died, and two and a half more were newly infected. These numbers um, across the board, across the globe, appear to be going down a bit, uh, and that's encouraging, um, but it's still a horrible crisis. Um, and the, the, uh, the fact that it's, it is global, this is a global pandemic, um, but uh, the numbers are higher for those of us uh, living and working in sub-Saharan Africa, and we really feel the urgency of the needs. What I'd like to focus on, though, is that we have a lot of statistics, and they're, they're just overwhelming. But behind every statistic is a person. And so what I'd like to do is present several of those today and um, see what lessons that we can learn uh, from these folks. Um, what I'd like to do is present several cases, and I really would like to have this as an interactive session. So there will be uh, points where I'd really like for you to jump in and give me your thoughts, um, particularly in terms of what you think is going on, the lab tests, diagnosis, treatments, and, and we'll get some interaction and discussion going. Um, this is a 20-month-year-old uh, Maasai boy who was brought into the clinic by his parents, his mother and father. His father is a church leader, actually, a pastor, and his mother is a school teacher. Fairly affluent family um, by Maasai standards. Um, they complained that the boy had knots in his neck that were not going away. He had them about six to nine months. Uh, they had taken him to traditional healers as well as um, several other clinics and doctors. He'd gone through several rounds of antibiotics, and they just weren't going away. When they brought him in, um, he was sitting on his mom's lap and noticeably very lethargic and just not interactive. Um, he really didn't have a lot of energy. He was um, even just looking at him. You could tell he was very, very thin. His weight and height were less than 3% for age. Um, he had very enlarged uh, lymph nodes, um, cervical lymph nodes. And um, then you can see then by the picture um, his... Uh, conjunctiva and his oral mucosa were very pale. He had perlesh, or cracking at the corners of his mouth, and his skin was kind of dry and scaly. Um, his mother 
whom I had known for many, many years, was also not looking very good. Um, she was thin. Her hair was kind of a burnt orange color, and she was uh, not feeling well. The child also has a, has a rash, um, a erythematous papular uh, rash, particularly on the finger webs uh, and then up the arms and on the um, body, the abdomen and the chest. And uh, the mother confirmed that the child uh, scratched at this. It was very, very itchy. Okay, at this point in time, uh, let's get some discussion going. What lab tests would you like to get on this child? What do you think are the diagnosis? What's the diagnosis? What treatments would you suggest? And what lessons can we learn? Okay, what are your thoughts? Okay, I know it's early in the morning. I applaud it. I'm not a morning person. Carrie Stewart and Will Rogers, this is a bad joke to have me at first thing in the morning. All right. What are your thoughts? Sure. What's that? She wants a scabies prep. That's excellent. Mm-hmm. So she wants a KOH. Okay. So she's narrowing in on the, the causes of the dermatologic conditions, uh, thinking about scabies. Fungus, mm-hmm. good. There is a blood test. What blood test would you like to get? HIV test, yes, yeah. Oh, we're in an HIV talk, of course, yeah. <clears throat> um, one of the points I wanted to make, though, is that for many years we didn't have HIV tests, and uh, we had to do this all by clinical diagnosis. And then even after we had the HIV test, we didn't have the fancy PCR or the CD4 counters, and so our staging had to be by clinical diagnosis, you know, clinical staging. And uh, it is definitely possible to do that. Um, she mentioned scabies. Uh, HIV is out there. Any other diagnoses that kind of pop to mind? Or treatments? Yeah, it's a very quiet... All right. Uh, This child is HIV positive. Uh, We were able also to check his blood count. His hemoglobin is very low, so he's anemic. Um, And uh, at the clinic that he was at, uh, we do have microscopy, uh, so it's possible that we could have done some scrapings and looked for things there. Um, But, yes, he's got the clinical diagnosis of scabies. It's just pretty classic. Uh, presentation, particularly that what you saw in the finger webs there and the fact that it's really, really puritic. But it's also secondarily infected. So um, he's got, um, well, and the, the lymph nodes. So let's focus in on that. That's the main thing they brought him in for. Um, scrofula, um, TB, tuberculosis of the lymph nodes. And uh, that also can be a clinical diagnosis. Now, if we could get a chest X-ray, if we could get some sputum or a gastric aspirate to do AFB staining, that would be nice. But uh, at this point, uh, he's going to have that diagnosis until proven otherwise and, and basically get treatment. And a lot of times we'll do that. We'll give a therapeutic trial. Uh, like this child was started on tuberculosis medications and then brought back for follow-up to see if he improved, and that kind of nails your diagnosis as well. So he's got scrofula, uh, tuberculosis of the lymph nodes. He's HIV positive, so the TB is his AIDS-defining illness. So he's got AIDS as well as the scabies, the anemia, and some vitamin deficiencies. And that's probably where the, the – um, he did not have oral thrush, so my guess on the perlesh is some vitamin deficiencies. 
He was started on tuberculosis medicines. Now, for both the TB meds and the antiretrovirals, the ARVs, uh, we have protocols to follow. Uh, the uh, World Health Organization uh, has recommendations, and then the Kenya Ministry of Health comes up with their protocols, their regimens. Uh, the TB medicine is a four-drug regimen, um, and we follow those. For the scabies, uh, I would start out with the amoxicillin for the secondary infection, send them home with benzobenzoate to put on a week after um, the antibiotic treatment. If you put that benzobenzoate on open lesions, it'll burn like crazy and they'll never come back to see you. So we treat the secondary infection, wait till it's kind of dried up, and then put the benzobenzoate and let that soak uh, overnight and then wash it off in the morning. Um, vitamin and iron supplements for sure. Okay, what else can we learn? I just want to review uh, very briefly. Most of you know this information just on HIV transmission. There are three ways to get HIV and only three. And the, by far, worldwide, the number one cause of transmission of HIV is heterosexual contact. It's a sexually transmitted disease. The second most common uh, route of transmission is mother to child. Uh, MCT, uh, also called MTCT. There's lots of acronyms out there. Um, PMCT is preventing mother-child transmission. Uh, this is rarely transplacentally. It's primarily either through uh, the delivery process or through breastfeeding. And uh, delivery and breastfeeding is about half and half of those statistics. And then the last is blood-to-blood contact, which in uh, the U.S. would be a lot more with IV drug abuse and sharing of needles. In uh, our context is much less, but we're actually going to see a case where this comes into play. Now, our program does provide antenatal care, uh, and we do have a PMCT program. Um, By Kenyan law, all pregnant women are to be tested for HIV, and then the positives are counseled and then given antiretrovirals through their pregnancy, uh, and particularly at the time of delivery to mother and the baby uh, to prevent the transmission. And this has brought the transmission percentage from 30% down to 15%, so it's dramatic help. Um, Some programs can get down even farther here in the U.S. We have a three-drug regimen, and there are some programs in Kenya that can use the three-drug regimen, which is by far better than just the nevirapine, uh, where the mom gets a dose of delivery and the baby gets a dose. Um, But we're left with the breastfeeding um, transmission. And uh, some studies a few years ago showed that uh, at two years of age, the transmission rate was back up to 30%, uh, which reflects the breastfeeding problem. And and it's a, it's a real issue. It's a cultural and social issue because the, the Maasai folks that I work with, they can't afford formula. Um, and even if they could, they're then potentially washing bottles um, and uh, their dishes in contaminated water, which then puts the child at risk for gastroenteritis, uh, which then actually increases the risk of transmission uh, through breastfeeding when you've got uh, some irritation of the intestinal uh, mucosa. So it's kind of a catch-22. We actually recommend breastfeeding only uh, because breastfeeding only has a lower risk of transmission than those who do mixed uh, breastfeeding and bottle feeding. Uh, We also have one program that's trying goat milk uh, and recommending that because Maasai folks very often do have access to goat milk. Okay. Um, Other lessons? Yes. Yeah, you're hitting a good, on a good point. And um, he's asking, how long do we recommend breastfeeding? At this point, um, 
and, and all of these things are kind of fluid, depending on what research comes out and what is practical. Um, at this point in time, they're recommending breastfeeding for six months and then switching the child over to uh, solid foods and, and other things. Um, last year it was different. You know, two years ago it was breastfeeding only forever, you know. Uh, so it, it, it changes and uh, a lot of times with the different protocols, the medicine protocols and the recommendations, every time I go, I have to ask them, so what's up now? You know, what, what are we doing now um, as we try to tweak this and do the best we can with the patients? So right now it's six months, breastfeeding only. Okay, just to remember that um, what, the test that we can do most readily is a HIV antibody test. Now, in infants, a positive test may reflect... Uh, antibodies tra pass transplacentally from the mother, um, and so um, infants that are HIV positive may then convert to be HIV negative, but that's because the maternal antibodies are degraded over time. But by age 20 months, um, these HIV antibodies are the child's and not just maternal origin, so he's definitely HIV positive. He acquired it from his mother which means she's also HIV positive. Um, and she did not know this. Uh, her son being positive was her first clue. The father may be HIV positive as well. And as you remember, these, are, these were church leaders, a pastor in the church. Are Christians um, you know, immune to HIV? Well, obviously not. Uh, and we're seeing church leaders and Christians uh, in the church who are HIV positive. And it usually comes through uh, kind of two... Um, social context. A lot of times these people are paying uh, severe costs for behavior that was five to ten years ago uh, before they entered the church. Or we have a lot of folks who profess Christ but trying to walk uh, a daily behavior walk uh, in a Christian lifestyle is a challenge. And um, so we have a lot of work to do uh, in terms of changing behavior. Um, these are good people. Um, uh, and a lot of times, particularly the women, uh, are left as victims in terms of some of the cultural practices, and we'll discuss that a little bit more later. HIV and tuberculosis, they travel together. Uh, this has been a fact for a long time, and it's still very, very present. For us, I'd say over half, maybe even three-quarters of our HIV-positive patients present with tuberculosis um, and uh, pulmonary symptoms. They travel together, and definitely every tuberculosis patient deserves to be uh, tested for HIV. Um, the scrofula is the lymph node uh, tuberculosis, and sometimes it can be present without pulmonary disease. Traditional healing practices can definitely delay treatment. Stigma is huge. For this particular family, the, the, the nurses actually delayed in telling the family the news because they had driven, they actually had a car, and uh, the, the staff was afraid that they would just drive off the road, that they would be so distraught that they would end up killing themselves. So uh, it's a very present problem, the stigma that's involved. We've been doing education. We actually started with education when we didn't have ARVs and we didn't have tests um, to try to, to help. We have still, education is one of our cornerstones of, of care. Uh, we have um, churches that will host seminars three to five days long um, uh, in a village setting. The churches will host the seminar, and community workers, um, clinic workers, and church leaders will provide lessons um, really discussing the biblical principles of sexual purity, uh, abstinence before marriage, and faithfulness in marriage as the keys to preventing HIV transmission. 
Um, we have drama troops as well who like to write and perform plays that depict the causes and consequences of AIDS. And uh, this is a really helpful adult learning tool. Okay, next case. Uh, the next few pictures are, um, Martha, you'll love these. This is a look at it and tell me what you think in terms of diagnosis. This is a child. has a mildly itchy rash on his abdomen. Yes, it's ringworm. That's correct. Uh, Tinea corporis. Um, and it's not a worm. Uh, it's a fungus. And it starts out usually as a small papule, and then as the, uh, the fungi uh, are eating the keratin, then they, the, the, the ring enlarges gradually over time. Uh, now, this child, as you can see, has numerous ones. And, in fact, if we had gotten a full body picture, there were probably 50 or so lesions uh, from head to toe. Okay. Um, another case here, uh, again, scaly circular patches. Uh, this is also ringworm, tinea. Um, Corporis and uh, this this man oh maybe 200 lesions they were just everywhere uh, from the top of his head to the bottom of his toes uh, from the previous case uh, scabies this child has kind of some scaling on his scalp but then there's some erythema of the forehead with uh, a lot of little vesicle um, more pustules. Uh, scattered across his forehead. Uh, this child also, on, on further exam, the conjunctiva and the oral mucosa are very, very pale. Uh, his abdomen is distended. He's complaining of some abdominal pain, and that's the main reason they brought him in. Um, any thoughts on this child? What kind of lab would you like to get? Or... What do you think of the diagnosis? How would you want to treat him? What are some of your thoughts? What's that? When you palpate the abdomen, it's soft, and there's really not any hip amegaly. Um just kind of full. Yeah, he is. He's malnourished, for sure. Can you think of why he's malnourished? One possibility. Yeah, yeah. He's got intestinal parasites. She said the number one cause of anemia is hookworm. And um, right, he's he's anemic. The pale conjunctiva and the oral mucosa uh, paleness kind of point you in the direction of iron deficiency anemia. Um, and yeah, the underlying cause. You can't just stop there. Uh, but uh, particularly with some abdominal discomfort and complaints, um, most likely has intestinal parasites, worms. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the scalp uh, with the scaly patches, and it doesn't really show up quite as well here, uh, but he's got um, tinea capitis, and kind of with all of these cases, there's several different uh, skin problems. Uh, cases, and I'm kind of lumping them together to make some points. Um, in all of these, each, each one of these cases, we did a HIV test, um, and they were positive. And for me, uh, when I see patients uh, in this setting who have rashes um, that are just exploding, uh, just really exaggerated rashes, I immediately think, okay, this could be HIV. 
and so I get a test. Um, but there are other diagnoses that can be going along. And, and so kind of the other second main point I want to make uh, here is that it's, a, it's really important to look at the whole patient and consider everything that could be going on because they will likely to need treatment for multiple problems. Um, so, yes, there's uh, the skin problems. Uh, we had a couple of cases of ringworm, atenia, and then scabies. Uh, there's HIV, and the skin problems don't necessarily um, define AIDS, um, but it, it depends more on um, kind of other diseases for the staging or their CD4 count. But yes, there's malnutrition, as you mentioned, vitamin deficiency and anemia, which can be secondary to the HIV uh, or uh, intestinal worms and other, other problems or just poor nutrition and not getting enough food. Um, you have to kind of consider also what are their water sources uh, and what are the problems are going on. So treatment kind of has to encompass all of these factors. And yes, they likely need ARVs for the HIV virus um, to um, work on that treatment of that. They need the medicines for the skin. Um, the little boy with, let's talk about this a little bit because there's some interesting cultural things going on here. Um, I don't know if you can tell. I mean, he's got some scaling on his scalp, but then there's this kind of brown patch on his forehead. That's actually a mud pack. Um, the family had taken the child uh, to a traditional healer who had put this mud pack thing, and that's kind of a common uh, thing in Maasai culture for traditional healers to put mud on different things, on different places, and to, I don't know, draw out the bad humors. Um, and uh, But that's not a real good thing. A lot of times the mud isn't necessarily very clean. It can be mixed with dung. Um, so lots of germs. Um, and then that then brought in a secondary infection. And the erythema and the pustules along the forehead, um, I would the best diagnosis, I would say, would in Patigo. Uh, he's patigenized. And uh, he's got a secondary infection there. Um, so a lot of things going on. He's going to need antibiotics for sure. Uh, even before we try to deal with the fungal infection. Um, for the, um, we talked about the scabies. For the ringworm, uh, generally of the body, um, clotrimazole, some uh, topical antifungal creams will do it. But when you've got 50 to 200 lesions, uh, that poses some difficulty. Uh, and then tinea um, capitis, um, anything that's involving hair is going to need uh, oral medications. We have griseofulvin. Uh, that's what we have available. Okay. Um, and definitely the, the worm treatment as well for this child um, and getting to kind of the underlying cause of the iron and vitamin deficiencies. So a couple of main lessons uh, to learn here is that uh, HIV patients often present with extreme rashes. Um, and they can be overwhelming when you first take a look at it. But what I've learned to do is kind of zone in and even cut my hands and look at just a small section. And then very often you can see uh, the more typical pattern in a smaller field of view. And, uh, you know, the ring or uh, the scabies lesions or something like that. So the point is that um, unusual rashes in HIV disease may actually be ordinary rashes but just giving it an extraordinary presentation where they're more extenu um, extenuated and more widespread. The second main lesson, um, th uh, yeah, that I wanted to point out is that adequate nutrition for these patients is critical. 
And uh, with the boy, with the intestinal worms, we have to deal with the um, parasites. We have to deal with the nutritional status uh, if we're going to have success with the ARVs. ARVs cannot work if they're not going to get absorbed. Uh, so if you've got intestinal problems going on that's de- uh, causing a malnutrition, um, a malabsorption um, problem, your ARVs are going to be affected well. Also, if people are not nourished well, if they are malnourished, ARVs are going to be problematic. Those folks have more side effects, um, and the ARVs just aren't as effective. And a lot of times people will come back, their CD4 count's not going up. You think, oh, okay, is the, you know, are those... Um, ARVs failing, but uh, before switching them over to a second-line treatment, which um, we don't have a lot of chances to switch things uh, where we are in Africa. So we have to do the best we can uh, with the first-line treatment, and prov- uh, improving their nutritional status is, is critical. Um, so we provide food. Part of the treatment program is food. Uh, we have 1,200 um, AIDS patients that we see that are on our registry. We see them every month. Uh, follow up with them, weight checks, how are you doing, uh, treat any underlying problems, um, rashes or diarrhea, whatever comes up. They get their ARVs, um, and they get a bag of food. Um, the, the food that we have is Unimix. Um, it's a combination of maize and soybeans uh, with uh, carbohydrates, uh, vitamins, um, and other nutrients, and uh, they get this to help. It's part of the total package of treatment. Now... This can bring problems. And uh, we've gone through stages where people refuse to take the food. Because to walk out of the clinic with the bag targeted them as an AIDS patient. And the stigma is so great that they didn't want to be seen carrying the bag out. It's crazy. Um, but the, the, the social pressure that these people live with is, is real. And it's very, very tough. Um, I also made the point that there are multiple problems, uh, so we kind of need to look at the whole patient, the whole picture, and address every issue that's going on because they all interact. Um, and if you want to bring this person into to solid health and, and doing better, then everything has to be addressed. Yes? Do you ever have the opposite problem where they actually, there's starvation, and they know if they're they HIV positive, they'll get food? Some, yes, but that's that. It's it's not a huge problem. We don't necessarily have people coming in and having a run on the food. Yeah, there's there's too much stigma involved. If they take it, they usually have to kind of hide it in a bag, or you know, their clothes, and and take it home that way. Um, one, yeah, this it's it's an interesting problem. Um, one of our um, present most popular tools for AIDS treatment and care is Moonlight Clinics, uh, Moonlight VCT, um, where we actually, the, we've, we've started doing village care uh, where we have mobile teams who go out and they pack up the food and the ARVs and the testing and all the antibiotics and stuff and take, take it out to a rural clinic and give a mobile outreach, a mobile clinic to provide treatment and care. They started doing that at night. Um, because uh, they can go in to a village, they can go house to house, and at night people aren't really seeing too much uh, what's going on. They're also very careful about going to every single house just to visit, you know, how you doing, so they can go in, and then once they're in, then um, they can have more private conversations and, you know, hand over medicines or food or other things um, uh, without neighbors seeing what's going on. 
Um, yeah, Moonlight VCT. It's a new, new treatment. Um, definitely medicines are needed. Um, I know probably there's going to be some questions on, okay, well, what drugs are you using? What's the dosages and all that? Uh, it is very fluid. Um, and every time I go back to, to Kenya and work in the clinics, uh, there's some slight changes. And uh, I usually have to just ask them, okay, what's going on? And they, they have the posters on the wall. Uh, this, is our, this is our treatment. And it, very often it relates to what's available. Um, okay, this, this triamine, this is what we have this month. Um, and they try to keep patients on the same thing, but it's a challenge uh, to keep their regimens um, in order and standardized. Uh, this is a picture to remind me that uh, AIDS patients not only need ARVs, they need a lot of other medicines. By Kenyan law, AIDS patients are treated free. Now, about seven years ago, our clinic system of nine clinics uh, was self-sustaining. Uh, we had 37,000 patients a year, and uh, each one paid maybe a dollar to two dollars. Not a lot. It was within their means, um, and it generated enough income to pay for medicines and staff salaries. But that's changed, and at this point, um, with 1,200 patients that we are seeing every month, and they come not just for their monthly visit uh, for their ARV care, but if they get sick with anything, and we tell them, please come, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't run away, come to us, we will take care of you. Um, they're often seen two or three times a month. Um, they get diarrhea, they get rashes, they get um, different problems. And so they come in and they need medications uh, to treat these other things. And uh, like I said, by Kenyan law, they, they are treated free. So when we have, uh, you know, potentially 3,000 visits a month that are not paying anything, uh, that's about a third of our patient base. Um, and it's, it's caused a considerable uh, financial impact uh, on our clinic system. We're no longer running in the black. We, we have to have some outside funding because um, they, they use a lot of medications. And the, um, the grant money that we have that provides the ARVs is great. It pays, uh, it, we get the ARVs free. Uh, we get TB medicines through the Ministry of Health, um, and it pays some of our staff salaries, but it doesn't pay all the other medicines. So uh, it's definitely uh, a system that re requires outside help. Okay, our uh, next uh, case, uh, this is Nolari, and uh, when I went to visit her for the first time, uh, she was at her village uh, lying on a cow skin, uh, very thin and cold. Uh, she was minimally responsive. Uh, she, I couldn't get her to follow commands. Uh, she was not engaging, and she's just kind of uh, dazed and eyes uh, glazed. Uh, the children, uh, she, she's the only wife of three remaining. Uh, the other two have died. Um, the husband doesn't come around very often. Uh, he is actually still alive, um, but he's ashamed of her, um, even though he's the one who's passed on this illness uh, to his wives. Um, she now has to care for all the children, her children and the children uh, of her co-wives. And when we went to the village, they uh, were there kind of looking at us expectantly, smiling sweetly, wondering if we would give them something to eat because tea was all they had that day. Outside, um, there were no cows, no goats, no donkeys. There, were, there was nothing there. All the animals had been sold already, uh, trying to... Um, get money to provide uh, help and care for the other family members, um, but to no avail. Um, 
but fortunately she did well. Um, we're going to get to that in a minute. But in looking at um, lab tests and diagnosis and treatment and lessons to learn, what are your thoughts on Nolari? If you could get a test, what would you get? Yeah, an HIV test for sure. Uh, we're kind of limited on what we can do, but we could check our blood count. Actually, at this point, we have a CD4 counter, and thanks to FAME, I'll give a plug for FAME, um, they have provided us with a CD4 counter, so we can actually stage a lot of these people. It's been very, very helpful to figure out exactly where folks are uh, in the disease process, because uh, a lot of times people will come in looking pretty good, and they have a CD4 count of 50. Uh, and they need to get on ARVs. Um, and then once they're on them, we can judge how effective the treatment is. Uh, diagnosis. At this point, we were not able to test her. Uh, and uh, we decided that uh, she most likely had AIDS. It was a clinical diagnosis. And uh, she got started on treatment. Now, also considering um, uh, the neurologic deficits, um, She's, you know, kind of wondering, is this an AIDS dementia or uh, could it be from dehydration, malnutrition? You know, there are a lot of other opportunistic infections, TB meningitis, cryptococcus, um, it, possibilities. Fortunately for her, uh, the treatment we got her started on ARVs. Um, and um, one cultural note here, uh, the clinic workers came every day by bicycle. Uh, to give her, it was kind of a dot treatment, uh, directly observed therapy for her um, to give her her medications, and she did get better. Um, the um, picture that you saw at the beginning, um, classic Slim's disease, um, just the, uh, she was uh, emaciated, just wasted, uh, could not, did not have the strength to stand or walk. Um, then with treatment, uh, kind of the classic Lazarus effect. Uh, she is looking great. Um, and uh, she's gained weight. She is strong now, and she's able to care for her family. Um, and so a lot of factors have, have come together uh, in caring for her. Uh, so she's got the AIDS-wasting illness, Lyme's disease, AIDS dementia, and that was a diagnosis mainly by exclusion because she did get better simply with the ARVs. She also was malnourished. The whole family really was. And uh, for sure, she also needed food, vitamins, and nutritional support. Uh, in our program, we've got uh, a CDC fund uh, grant that is providing for our ARV medications. This started in 2005 uh, with the PEPFAR grant. Um, we had started our program with just AIDS education because that's really all we had. And then we were able to do testing. We were then able to go into the um, preventing mother-to-child transmission and then fi finally the ARV treatment program. We had never worked with a government agency before. And, oh, my goodness, um, talk about bureaucracy. The, the things we had, the jumps, uh, the hoops we had to jump, we had to retrain a lot of our staff so that they had the proper credentials uh, for ARV medication dispensing. Uh, we had to build a secure pharmacy um, so that we could put the ARV medications in there. And at this point, every single tablet has to be accounted for. Um, we also had to um, put in privacy walls, so we had to change some of the physical plant. Uh, and all of these things, uh, these prerequisites, had to be done uh, with our own funding. The grant didn't cover those things. 
Um, but at this point, uh, our clinic workers say, you know, all the hassle, it was worth it. Um, and uh, we have uh, 1,200 patients who are on AIDS treatment and care. Um, I think four or 500 of those are on ARV medications. The others are on the prophylactic medications. They're all followed monthly. And uh, like I said, there are posters on the wall um, to give uh, guidance on how to counsel, how to um, give best practices, how to store them. Um, it's a very regimented program. But good things are happening. Um, and uh, and people are getting better, and uh, it's been amazing. Part of the program is uh, a chaplain and community health workers who not only counsel patients and dispense medications, but pray with them, uh, encourage them to go to local churches. Um, there's there's a ton of counseling that that goes on with these folks. Village visits, as I mentioned, moonlight uh, VCT, moonlight ARV care. Um, we we're it's kind of like they come up with all kinds of creative solutions uh, to try to meet these people where they're at. Home-based care is a huge part of the program. In fact, this is what saved Nolari's life. Um, community workers, church leaders, um, community volunteers are the cornerstone of this program, um, and they go to the homes. Uh, in Nolari's case, Christian women came and um, carried firewood for her, carried water for her, um, cooked, and even hand-fed her um, for a long time until she was strong enough to care for herself. Um, these um, home visits uh, include weight checks, uh, sometimes dispensing medicine, definitely counseling, um, and in the whole program, the community members are really encouraged not to throw these people out, not to ostracize them, but to accept them and to care for them. And it's really um, become one of the best evangelistic tools that we have as people are cared for and as they get better. Um, it's a great – seeing that physical success is tied into the spiritual as well. And we've seen a lot of growth in the churches through this program. Uh, she's doing great. The Lazarus Effect, we talked about that, and she's back to uh, a contributing member of the community. Okay, next case. Um, this is um, Kiramati Show, and uh, she's looking really good here. She's a beautiful lady. When we first saw her, she came to the clinic. She was very, very thin and wasted. She had oral thrush, uh, which should target you to think of a test. What would you get, an adult with thrush? Uh, that's an idea. Diabetes is a good good suggestion. Yeah. Anything else? Adults with oral thrush. What's that? Well, there's a couple things. HIV, and actually uh, for a patient who's HIV positive, uh, thrush can be an AIDS-defining illness, uh, which was a case for her. However, uh, last month when I was um, in Kenya, and where I saw three patients, uh, adults and children with thrush, and their HIV uh, test was negative. Uh, malnutrition uh, basically can do it too. Right now, Kenya is going through a very severe drought, and we're seeing quite a few people who, you know, in other conditions, I would say, oh, it's AIDS until proven otherwise, um, but they're just severely malnourished just from starvation. So uh, cancer patients uh, too can get oral thrush because anything that depletes the immune system, pregnancy, 
um, particularly if you've got some other hits uh, to nutrition or the immune system. Um, but in our case, and, and what I try to tell people as they're working in this situation, that if you see an adult with uh, thrush, the white plaques on the inside of the mouth, or epigastric pain, uh, very often uh, if any person who comes in with epigastric pain deserves to have their mouth checked. I mean, it's so easy to look. Um, but folks with candida in their mouth very often have it going down their esophagus and uh, get candida esophagitis. Okay, so this lady came in with those problems, uh, very thin and wasted, uh, was HIV positive. And uh, they talked to her. She's from the village of Sinan. Okay, well, they, they weren't real sure where that was, but okay, so they had her come back. And she got started on treatment, and, and she's doing well. Well, about a month later, um, some friends uh, who had seen that she had gotten better brought in their child. Um, and he had some sores on his feet, uh, was thin, not doing well. He was tested. The child was HIV positive. Where are you from? Sinon Village. Okay. They tested the mom. Mom was negative, which really was kind of surprising. Um, and then they were, uh, you know, in the process of treating this child. Uh, then some villages, villagers brought a second child in uh, who was HIV positive. After about the third HIV positive patient from Sinan Village, our clinic workers were saying, we need to find this place. <laughs> Where is Sinan Village? Um, and what is going on there that uh, we're seeing so many HIV-positive patients from there? So they went out to find Sinan Village, um, very, very remote place, very much off the beaten track, uh, a very poor place, and um, fair distance from water. And particularly over the last six to nine months, um, they, during the drought situation, has gotten worse, and uh, they, they really they don't have water. Um, they're not bathing. Um, the hygiene is very, very poor, and uh, they have uh, lots of fleas. And the men, though thin, are in pretty good shape. Uh, the men there are looking pretty good, uh, but the children, uh, many of them are in horrible condition. Uh, the women and children, particularly, um, very thin, uh, pale, uh, a lot of bloated stomachs, and a lot of foot problems and sores. In fact, there were multiple people, uh, women and children, who couldn't walk. Uh, they had sores on their feet, particularly under the toenails, um, and they uh, would sit along the fence row, um, and the, the sores formed nodules and were very, very painful as they grew. And they would take a needle and dig out uh, the nodule. Uh, it was basically a, an egg sac. And um, then as they dug out this egg sac, this nodule, then they would pass the needle on to the next person. And they would dig out the nodule from their foot and then they'd pass it on to the next person. So they, the needle was going down the line, uh, digging out these sores. Um, so this one picture there. Uh, okay, just in terms of getting some feedback here, what are you thinking? Uh, lab tests that you'd like to get? Diagnoses, what's going on? What kind of treatment? What are your thoughts? Anything I've said here kind of triggers some aha uh -huh, uh -huh moments? What's that? Yes? I'm concerned that you're getting HIV negative moms with 
Yeah, that myth is there. Um, the myth of um, having sex with the virgin could dispel, get rid of the HIV. That is, it's there. I, I've heard that even recently. Mm -hmm. um, for these children, um, another source of HIV transmission? From the needles, yeah, from the needle. We, we talked earlier about the major causes of HIV HIV transmission, yes, by far it's a sexually transmitted disease. Um, and then you've got your mother-to-child transmission um, perinatally and through breast milk. We've talked about that. Um, and this is one of those cases where sharing of needles. Um, and I used to kind of poo-poo that because it's, it's really a small percentage. Uh, but recently I was in um, a community health, a community worker Seminar. We, we put on a retreat and a seminar for folks on uh, home-based care, and we were talking about HIV-AIDS. And uh, just in the discussion with the folks uh, from the area, uh, they pointed out there, there in our culture, there are a lot of things that happen where needles and blades are shared. Yes. She asked about one woman breastfeeding another person's baby. Yes, that does happen. Um, and there's, there's, uh, you know, you may have seen from some of the pictures. Maasai uh, traditionally have very short hair. They shave their heads. Well, they, these uh, community volunteers were telling us, well, it's not uncommon for the village to have one blade, and they'll shave one person, one kid's head, and then they'll shave the next kid's head, and the next kid's head. And you know, there's not supposed to be blood when you're cutting somebody's hair, but it can happen, and that can spread. There's also still circumcision, particularly female circumcision, uh, where there's one a circumciser. Uh, an older woman in the community who does it, and uh, very often, you know, the, the procedure is done from one girl to the next to the next. It's all uh, in rapid succession uh, using one blade that's not necessarily cleaned in between um, the people. So uh, it can happen. It's a problematic. So the kind of the full story here, and and, and several points I want to bring up. Um, there's a lack of water. Because of the remoteness of the village, I mean, it's about five miles to the closest source of water. That's a long walk um, to get water. And uh, so they're not bathing well. There's a flea infestation. And, um, Martha, have you seen this? Jiggers? Yes. Um, the, the insect bites and burrows into the skin. Typically, uh, feet and under nails is very common. They lay their eggs under the skin. And then as the egg sac grows, uh, it forms this very painful nodule. And we've got a couple here on this foot. Um, and it's, it's very, very, very painful. And people will do whatever it takes to get this out. Uh, they'll use a thorn. In this case, uh, somebody got a hold of a needle. It was very handy, very helpful. And, uh, and they dig these things out. Uh, but the sharing of the needles then was transmitting HIV. Uh, jiggers, flea infestation. Um, and then with, the, with the, the village too, definitely malnutrition, most likely intestinal worms and vitamin deficiencies and anemia. Um, the treatment needed to kind of address everything. But what we did, um, they initially found this village, kind of did a survey on the problem, and then uh, came back later. They planned uh, a village outreach, a mobile clinic. Uh, we got there with our team and rounded up 
everybody, all the kids, all the women, uh, all the adults, um, uh, to treat everyone at the same time. And it involved uh, soaking. Um, any area that had lesions um, got soaked um, for 15 minutes in this purple solution. Uh, and then they were bathed in Vaseline, um, which basically cuts off the air supply uh, and uh, suffocates um, the insects, and they die. And then they come back two weeks later and retreat and uh, continue from there. Just lessons learned. Um, a couple points here. Yes, the sharing of needles happened to be the mode of transmission in this case. But let's think a bit about the underlying problems, that really poverty and poor hygiene are the foundational problems and, uh, and I would say the causes of AIDS in this case. So a lot of social problems uh, to consider. Um, also just want to hit a little bit on uh, the a feature um, very often that I see with HIV AIDS is gender inequality. The men in this village looked pretty good. How is that? Um, and why is it that two-thirds, two-thirds of all people living with HIV, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, are women? Um, there's, there's gender inequality in this disease. Um, women's rights, this becomes a, a social injustice issue. Uh, that very often women are married at an early age to men who are older and who have been previously sexually active. Um, Maasai are polygamous, but whether a culture is polygamous or not, with multiple wives, very often there are multiple partners. And uh, so definitely age of debut and um, the number of partners has a huge effect. Um, and women in many cultures in the developing world have less money. They often cannot own property. They are not allowed. They have less food. In Maasai culture, women eat after the men and usually what's left over. So their nutritional status is poor. They also have less access to medical care. So in many cultures, AIDS is harder on women. They are at a disadvantage. And uh, so our programs have to address this as well. Um, and uh, we're involved in microfinance, uh, microenterprise income generating activities. Uh, for the Maasai, uh, restocking of their herds, giving women goats, uh, the widows. Um, we have a program, we give them five goats um, and try to get them up on their feet. And then as those goats reproduce, um, once they get up to about 40 goats, they can take half the herd and sell them or eat them. Uh, and uh, then we talked about the goat milk, too, as a source for the children. Uh, so that's some of the activities that we have there. All right. I uh, want to take just a couple minutes and talk about um, kind of another aspect uh, with HIV AIDS. This is Hajisa, who was very thin and wasted when she first presented. Um, and uh, one of the clinical features is the social aspect, the social history. She was living with 15 children um, because she was having to take care of her children, her sister's children, the neighbor's children. Uh, these were all the people who were left behind uh, uh, from the scourge of HIV AIDS. Um, she is in um, Nairobi, um, and I kind of want to just take a couple of minutes going from a bush setting to a, a city setting. Um, in Nairobi uh, slums, HIV prevalence is 50%. So as you walk down the streets of Mathari Valley or Kibera, one out of every two people that you meet is going to be HIV positive. Huge social impact. Um, there are women who are being left behind, grandmothers who are having to raise children, and uh, uh, the conditions there are very bad, and the, the cycle of poverty just continues. Um, 
A key point in terms of AIDS care, we've talked about nutrition and proper water, ARVs, yes, but there's so many other features. And in um, taking care of the people, when we talk to Palwas, uh, their major complaints, the major needs, the felt needs that they have are keeping their kids in school and taking care of themselves. And uh, so with the um, helpers that we've had there, we're focusing on child sponsorship, Our goal is to keep children within a home setting rather than putting them in orphanages, keeping them in school through the child sponsorship. Schools have been built, um, income-generating projects, and AIDS support groups. We, at this point, have uh, 4,000 kids who are in school, and through the kids then, uh, an opening into the community um, allows us for CHE training and actual church planting. Um, all of these kids are either AIDS victims. They're, they're OVCs, orphan and vulnerable children. You may have heard that term, either HIV positive or at risk um, because of HIV. Um, Microenterprise is a huge project where CHE training is done. People are put into groups. They're giving training on microfinance. Um, they have a savings program. Uh, and then as a group, they're held, they hold each other accountable. Different projects from starting um, shops, to um, preparing food and selling it, hair salons, butcheries, all kinds of projects going on. There are 500 people in the microfinance program. Um, I'm sorry, yes, 500 people, and they've started 700 businesses. Uh, They have about a 90% success rate in repayment. It's a great program. Um, A couple of people here in the stories, but I don't have time to get into them. Uh, just this one particular lady and her son, Paul, uh, she was not able to keep him in school. She started a business selling French fries, uh, was able to sell those and make enough money to then go to her second business of a shop. Uh, so at this point, she is able to keep her child in school. Um, both of them were HIV positive, and they're both on treatment and care. Um, the AIDS Support Group is one of the most successful successful programs. Uh, this is the AIDS Support Group, and I was I was really proud of them. All of these people are HIV positive. Uh, they're on care and support. As you can see, they look really pretty healthy. They look pretty normal. Um, but on a day-to-day basis, it's a, it's a struggle. When they get together for the fellowship, um, the lessons on HIV transmission, how to prevent that, Bible study, um, and lunch is the highlight of the day. Um, this this meeting, these, these meetings are incredible. Um, the smiles, the support, uh, they can talk to people and see people like them who are doing well, and it's a tremendous encouragement, um, and they know that they're loved and accepted there, uh, and also a huge uh, evangelistic tool. I hope you can see through this that HIV-AIDS is an illness that causes huge, not just medical, but also social, emotional, uh, mental, uh, economic issues. They're all intertwined, and so really it takes a holistic program to um, address all of those to really um, meet the needs. And our hope, uh, folks who are in better health, who can see their kids through school and a future generation that will be HIV-free. I'm sorry, at this point, the session is officially over at 9.30, and uh, I don't have time to open it up for questions because I want to honor the time for you to get to your next session. But I'll be here. Uh, If you have other questions um, or would like to talk to me, uh, my contact information is there. If you ever want to call or write, please feel free. Thank you very much. I appreciate your attention.